from the Hill Country in Texas, broadcasting worldwide, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, very pleasant good afternoon to you. we got to start a little bit early, uh, so we'll have some fun here. We're going to be talking about everybody's favorite subject, which is sex. No, money, actually. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about <laughs> with uh, Christian uh, Ragason, and she has a book called The End of Scarcity, and uh, tomorrow Adam Bergstrom will be here for Adam 2.0, and then back to the money subject tomorrow at, uh, let's see, I believe it's noon, with uh, Richard Proctor, and uh, he has, his latest book is something about the lies that the bankers have told us, so it ties right into this, and he has his own theory about how to do uh, banking, and uh, uh, he's a good guy, he's a constitutional, he really knows the Constitution, and uh, so we're going to talk to him, so money stuff coming on, if you like to be on the show this morning, you can email me, Patrick, at OneRadioNetwork.com or use a telephone that nobody really knows how to do any longer, but it's 888-663-6386. 888 um, Kristen Ragason is here, and that's her uh, email, KristenRagason.com. She has a book out that uh, came out Labor Day called The End of Scarcity, and she has a long history uh, with the bankers that we affectionately call the boys, who the boys are, and uh, they've been running the show for a long time. And she, well, we'll just talk to her and, and see see what she's all about. Miss Ragason, good afternoon oh. to thee, and how are you? Oh, I'm great, Patrick. So nice to be here with you. Yeah, it's our it's our pleasure. So you were in the belly of the beast working for which which one of the big banks did you work for and for how long? I started in '92 at Merrill Lynch, and uh, you know I started really as a stockbroker back then, which was even a surprise to me. But um, it was an entrepreneurial space and. I was wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and thought, gosh, I could help people feel empowered mm-hmm. and help them in the American dream. You know, I grew up as a little girl earning my allowance from my dad, a dollar a week, explaining the market to him. <laughs> and uh, so he thought it was really important his children understood some basic things. Oh. And so I was surprised that I became a stockbroker. You know, I thought, oh, I would do something. I'd be in the Peace Corps. You know, I'd be doing something for human rights. But I really believed in the system for a very, very long time until the crash of 2008 came. That's when I started to see things a little bit differently. Uh, and where did you where did you go? Did you just start looking at uh, history, books? I mean, what did you do in seven when you knew this thing was just a, a big... Ponzi scheme, whatever we want to call it. We'll talk about it. Yeah, uh, truly. Um, yeah, you know, I was doing a master's degree at Tufts University uh-huh. in in Massachusetts, in, in Boston, basically. And I was working on my master's, uh, my thesis paper, and I cracked open an economics book after a long time, and it said, money has to be scarce to have value. And I thought, wow, you know, something is wrong here. We live on an abundant planet, and... Um, we're in trouble because this is the opposite of our nature. 
And, you know, I just sort of tucked that away. And soon enough, I started to see unbelievable amounts of debt being accumulated and cash raised, you know, through the financial system. Merrill was raising tons of money. They were selling off the insurance company, all kinds of things that just sounded strange. And I said to the people I worked with, this thing is going to implode. This is going to crack. You know, and everybody told me that I was sounding negative, mm-hmm. you know, and we're much to do about nothing. Um, I we had some really super safe um, short term notes that were always triple A. And I had been away doing the thesis paper. And when I got back, they were suddenly falling in price. And I thought that's strange. Interest rates aren't moving. There's no reason for the price of those short term securities, quote unquote, triple A to be under par to be falling in value. So I called the bond desk in New York and they said, oh, don't worry about it. You know, it's not a credit problem. It's just a liquidity problem. And I thought to myself, that sounds bad. And so I said to the company, you know, at what point you were just asking too many become? questions, girl. You were just looking too deep, right? Right. And I was really just very, you know, naive and, you know, just thinking, wow, you know. And I said to him, at what point does a liquidity problem become a credit problem? Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was working on another master's degree. I was getting ready to do another one. So I was going to be out of the country for three weeks. And I decided that it was time to sell for every client who wasn't income dependent. I was going to move to cash. And um, this was before so Lehman? I did. This was before Lehman? It was late, late, late summer, early fall 2007. Oh, you were really had your Nostradamus hat on, didn't you? Yeah. I could just feel it in my body. I knew it was going to blow. And, you know, I went away. I actually ended up in the Middle East working on this mediation certificate or whatever. And every day when I was out there, the market went up straight for 21 days. And I had everybody in cash. And I thought, well, you know, this is the story of how the business is. It doesn't get easier. And uh, when I got back, it ripped open. It blew open. And I didn't feel vindicated because I felt really heartbroken looking at the men that I worked with, you know, their whole lives, everything they had saved, 40 years, and people were just despondent. And, um, you know, and and sort of I was in a position of jealousy because a lot of people knew that I had people in cash, but it it did not, I knew at that point something was I w- something was missing in my worldview, and I was going to go and find out what it was. And it took me about nine months of reading every geeky thing I could read. And I looked at the political stuff, the economic stuff, you know, with the Fed and, and even social issues at that point, which was sort of maybe premature to where we are today. And I discovered nothing, you know, <laughs> the answer was not there. And lo and behold, it turned out to be in how we create the currency, how we create money. That's the and deal. I was stunned. That's the motherhood, right? And who creates it? I mean, that's just yeah. So what right? book? What book got you there? What did? What was, when did you have your aha moment about how money is created? You know, it might have been. I did read Stephen Zerlanga's, you know, five hundred or thousand page book of this, you know, the secrets of money, that the history, where you could see that even the Crusades were really about the battle of of gold and silver. Right. Um, but Paul, Paul Grignon, who um, out of out of uh, Canada, 
had done a phenomenal piece in showing us that really it's borrower's debt. We only, only have borrower's debt. We don't have anything called money. And this this is not how it was meant to be, you know, and certainly with the consolidation of the banking system in the 80s, um, you know, I mean, this 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 has been going on for a long, long time to get us where we are. But, um, you know, getting rid of silver, getting rid of gold, moving us into Federal Reserve notes, consolidating the banking industry. And now, you know, this is, of course, why we have booms and busts in the markets, because you have to have an asset class to expand in order to get people to go into debt. And then when those monthly payments supersede the monthly income payments, the monthly debt payments supersede the monthly income payments, the system implodes. So, you know, so we go through these constant booms and busts, and then we have to indebt everyone just to create consumer debt for us as a society to use money with one another. This is totally nuts. And, you know, so even, right? And, and then, of course, the worst case, the worst part of it which, you know, it just takes a lot for people to wrap this simple concept around our head that we do not have money. We only have consumer debt. That's what's in our accounts. That's what's invested in stocks is somebody else's promise to repay a consumer debt. It's just like the quarter. So we have the head side in our accounts and the tail side is the borrower has to recapture that dollar, that debt dollar in society to repay it in time. And the big kicker is that as soon as that debt is repaid, uh, the money is extinguished. So every time somebody repays a debt in society, we have less money circulating. So we're running under the idea that if we have less debt, we're going to have more money. But in fact, it's quite the opposite. <laughs> we would have a depression. <laughs> if the U.S. government paid off its debt or if we all paid off any consumer debt we had, we would have a depression of of, of just, you know, biblical magnitude, un, un, incomprehensible magnitude. So we're totally dependent on debt just to have to, to exchange our goods and services one another. This this was never how the technology or the tool of money was meant to be created. Uh, Christian, um Ragason is with us. Her book is called um, The End of Scarcity. Our listeners generally, since the last 15 years, are fairly more well-informed about the monetary system because of our show called The Real World of Money weekly on this network for a long time. But we also have new people all the time, too. So we'll, we'll kind of dance between um, people that understand a little bit about this and the people that don't. But explain to 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 our audience here um, how the Federal Reserve and banks monetize debt. Just pretty. How do they do that? What does that mean? Monetize debt. Monetize debt. You know, um, in essence, when we exchange with one another, we should be monetizing barter, right? So we have we all have incredible creations and gifts and services. And money was just supposed to be this wonderful tool of advancement that we created in society to assist us in exchanging with one another. But um, when the banking system really got the monopoly to create the government's money, which is the people's money, our money, when the when the commercial banking system was given this monopoly, they really just create money. And I, I say it's not really out of thin air because it's on the burden of our promise 
to repay it, to repay right? It. Yeah. So, so it, it really, it actually doesn't, you know, it, it, I understand the concept that it comes out of thin air, but I'm a stickler and I'll say it's not really true. You know, the Federal Reserve, of course, has no balance sheet. It simply has the golden keyboard. It types an endless amount of reserves. It can type any amount of reserves into existence, which go on the back or the books of the banks. And those Federal Reserve reserves are not dollars we don't use them in society so even in the 2008 crisis when the fed created a ton of money um, we had all the quantitative easing we didn't get inflation like we have today because none of that money that the fed created went got into society it just re-fortified the banks who were all bankrupt you know because all of their capital assets were in mortgage debt were in derivatives that they well knew were bankrupt, hmm. that they had no real market value. So when the Fed created all that quantitative easing, QE2, QE3, whatever, um, that just simply gave them free money to refortify themselves that any business owner would say, hey, wow, why not me? And um, the difference is it still doesn't put any money into society where people can hire one another or earn it fast enough to pay their mortgage or any debts they have. All of that money is bank credit and we have to go to a bank who has the monopoly to, based on our signing on the dotted line, signing that promissory note to repay them with the debt, you know, until we die, basically, or or really go through the bankruptcy system. But even then, um, that's how the money's created. So it's created as double book entry at that point. And, you know, the banks get the privilege of earning all the interest, which is where the money is made. Um, you know, for, you know, or they reclaim the assets that were, you know, collateralizing the debt. So it's, it's quite a deal. And, and, yeah, and that's uh, why mom said, marry a banker. I mean, that's, this is why. <laughs> so, so we go and we say, okay, I want to buy a home. It's $400,000. And Patrick signs a note. I, I owe you $400,000, 30 years, 4%, whatever it is. And the banks create the $400,000 and they give it to me and I pay them back probably 800 and but yep. then the interest isn't created so that is the pull on the scarcity model right they don't create the interest you know, that's part of it right? it's part of it I tend to be a stickler on this one too okay. you know um, yeah the it's okay believe it or not it's okay that they don't create the interest because um the four hundred thousand is due over 30 years right and so but what what that eight what what the interest let's just call it seven percent or eight percent or whatever call it ten percent to make it easy that's the whip right so um so the higher that the interest is on the mortgage is how fast we have to run on the treadmill to go and capture and toil that money out of the system yeah and um, so technically speaking when they create that four hundred thousand as our debt or as our money mm -hmm. um it's double book entry so they they create a minus 400 which is the debt or the asset i have to repay them and then they create the plus 400 which they give me and so we think of it as money but that's where i go it's really the quarter because it's forever tied to the debt on the other side that you cannot separate the head side from the tail side so even though somebody gives me a dollar or they send me some money in my account it's really the head side and that money that went in my paycheck or that somebody sends me is is actually still someone's mortgage and now if i'm a good doobie 
and I'm being a good citizen, I'm going to spend. I'm going to, you know, and I have to push that money out of my account so that it can circulate in the society so that the people in debt have a chance to earn it to earn in it, time. To pay their thing, to pay their debt. Exactly. And now they are, now what, what happens when they pay a bank that, let's say, they pay the bank the $2,000 a month for the mortgage. And let's say that a thousand of it will be kind. <laughs> we'll say a thousand of it is 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 against the mortgage, you know, it's principal, and a thousand is interest, even though that's that's quite um optimistic. Now at that point, they only owe three hundred and ninety-nine thousand, right? So if I if I borrowed four hundred and I'm paying two thousand to the bank that month, I now owe four hundred, I owe I owe three hundred and ninety-nine. That 1000 that got wiped off my debt is also deleted, extinguished, and no longer can ever circulate again in society. So society has 1000 less dollars circulating that other debtors or other people who need to pay their bills can capture. So even though I'm temporarily in a better position, society as a whole is not. Now, the $1,000 in interest, legally speaking, we're going to give the banks the benefit of the doubt here supposedly continues to circulate right and um so that but the the more the higher the interest rate is the more the pressure the faster the velocity the 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 borrower has to run to capture and that's why for the past 20 years we've been living with pernicious deflation because you only we're they're running out of bubbles to blow up so we had the dot-com bubble we had the housing bubble and of course this is where war comes from so when you can no longer humanity's beat can't run anymore on the hamster wheel and we still need to create more consumer debt as money so the whole system doesn't blow up you get to you get you get to war so in chapter two, I really argue that we are controlled in seven defined ways by making our our currency, our money out of consumer debt. And if we don't have these debtors, we're actually we're actually in debt. Savers are in debt to to people who are in debt, right? Um, because otherwise we wouldn't have any money. And um, and that's why we all need to be debtors and savers at the same time in the system. But I just. <laughs> You know, I just love to go over the seven debt strings because, you okay. know, we all think it's sort of a breakdown of society, but it really comes from the root of money being created as debt. That number one, we can never be free of debt. As soon as we pay it off, we have to have more um, individuals, uh, cities, states, companies, even the government itself. Uh, we also have to, we can't be in charge of our time. We all have to live on that nine to five schedule because we have to earn it in time in order to repay the debts. Even if somebody doesn't have debt, um, you know, rents are due on that same schedule. And then we're pushed to overconsumption because we have to have find a reason to go into debt. And then everybody has to get any job, even if it's a crappy job because they have to be able to earn something. And then we get pushed for endless growth, stupid growth for, for no reason. And then of course we destroy investment for the need for speculation because you create debt even faster, which pushes us to war. And then lastly, to have the system up and running, you need to have a small group of people have the most meaningful power in society, which ends up being like the Federal Reserve, because this system is inhuman. It cannot run for free markets, you know, through normal capitalism. And that's really, this is why it's, it, to me, it's the greatest revelation of where all the trouble comes from.
is creating money as consumer debt. And do you think it would be solved by the plot of my screenplay by the United States just printing United States notes and not borrowing from the Fed? That would be an avenue, wouldn't it? Sure would. You know, Jackson knew that. Franklin knew that. Right. Lincoln knew it. And um, Kennedy knew it. You know, it's. um, And it all didn't end well for those guys. I wonder what that's about. Didn't end well at all, you know. And you and you even look at how this stuff has been worked out of the textbooks. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, it, it's it's quite incredible. And you know, I think even constitutionally, they just would have to coin, you know, a trillion dollar coin. And a lot, I think, people even misinterpret the concept of modern monetary theory, which you know isn't so bold. They they won't really call the Fed private. You know, they they really walk on that edgy sure, line. Sure. Uh, but at the same point in time, you could absolutely mint up some coins, get rid of the debt, do it in tandem so that you didn't exacerbate inflation. And of course, we know the inflation is not coming from this. It's coming from the the from shutting down energy and giving helicopter money during COVID. Right. right. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I talked to some constitutional. He's going to be on tomorrow. And he says there's absolutely nothing in the Constitution that forbids uh, the the federal government from emitting bills of credit, they can print their own money. Yeah. They just can't. I mean, if you look at the Constitution, it says let no state, yeah. let no state use other than gold and silver as a payment for debt. But it doesn't say the, it doesn't say the the, the government. You know, I mean, uh, well, like you say, Lincoln did it. I mean, didn't uh, Jackson did it and. Jackson did it. Absolutely. You know, and um, I really do believe we're going back to Jackson's solution. That's really? that's what I believe. And I think that we're the, we're the first people um, that, that have ever had the opportunity where the simple ancient wisdom of how to design currency properly is reemerging in the common sense understanding of the people. That's really what my book is about to help in a very fun way bring this kindergarten understanding of what currency is, how it's supposed to be created, and um, but we're also given technology that no people before us has had, and you know we don't need to put these systems on the blockchain, but when we do. And we can have our own blockchains that we put up with satellites. People are doing it. Um, we can create transparency, scale, and scope. What Jackson would have only dreamed of. So, um, as you know, as as crazy as the whole blockchain thing is with FTX and all of that, you're thinking that big picture, um, Kristen. This is where we're going. Where we're going to use this blockchain and create our own and then trade this among ourselves kind of like barter and this is you yeah think this is where it's going I, yeah definitely you know ftx by the way had nothing to do with blockchain you know this is right. it's it and i really do think it's a smear campaign to um to scare people and confuse people and who already were you know already distasteful like don't create this much change you change my money boy you start to make me nervous right. but of course this is where you have to get educated um and uh you know i wrote this book for my mom she would say more simple more simple, <laughs> more simple. and then she said oh it's you know it's fantastic so you know so we have it so it's one plus one equals two and we have to get this education so that we're empowered and we're not we can't be made use of and we're not confused 
But um, I like to say that blockchain is to Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. And of course, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency are very different from one another. But blockchain is to cryptocurrency as the internet is to Amazon. So blockchain is just the highway that we drive it's on. Just it's the, just an just a technology. It has nothing to do with the underlying asset or or coin or whatever it is it's just like saying gosh you know we we want to build the railway railroad you know uh, system like lincoln did again with the greenbacks across the country we need an infrastructure so that we can get to one another um you know the banking system we needs to know what's in your account and blockchain actually is the very boring very clunky way to say hey this is in your account this is in my account that's in her account and um and how we actually transfer transfer value to one another. So blockchain is sort of this phenomenal technology that allows peer-to-peer -peer on scale and scope. It's very threatening to hierarchical systems. Um, at the same point in time, it may have been created by hierarchical systems to do more of a surveillance token later on. You know, it's, it's who knows. And I sort of say, who cares? Because, you know, the internet and blockchain, though they can be used for bad things, you, you know, everything is two-sided in this world. When you let something out of the bag, it also can be used for unbelievable liberation and freedom. Yeah. Yeah, the, the origin of, of Bitcoin itself is fascinating. I don't know if we're ever going to know for sure how it all started, but you're right. I mean, you could have the boys, some Illuminati dude in, in Switzerland who started the whole thing just to kick people's butt. I mean, you, you don't know, right? You don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the most sort you could you could take it all the way and say, listen, you know, eventually, you know, the carbon footprint comes, the central bank digital currencies come, right. Bitcoin already put out there to see how people would respond to it, and to to lay some groundwork. You know, Bitcoin, I don't think it'll get outlawed all to be seen. But the problem is when you have a scarcity token. So let's let's assume that gold is scarce. We again, we really don't know this. Um, we don't know if diamonds are scarce. <laughs> it certainly all can be the created. Market, right, they control the market, right? Oh. That's right. Anybody with with super amount of wealth, when, when you say, hey, this is the single token of exchange, can easily corner the market and take the bulk of that. And then you start dictating what other people have to do to get that token. That's why money was never meant to be scarce. Hmm. It was meant to be uh, flexible and flowing in quantity equal to the changing capacity of the people. And this is what Jackson knew. So wildcat banking, where every city, um, you know, business, you had many different merchant associations in Texas who issued their own script representing the promise to deliver what they created, what they produced, their wealth. And um, it's just that you, you needed to make sure that the amount of script that was created only represented the supply of what these merchants could really produce, checked by the demand for what they had so, to offer by know, customers. Let's unpack that a little bit. So so uh, let's give us a year that you're talking about where Texas banks were doing their own money. About what, around, what year? Oh, you could take this a little, I would say probably the 1890s. Okay, um, okay. Anytime Anytime we get a real panic, you know, the 18, 1873, you had the big campaign against silver. And so silver was still pretty ubiquitous. Um, and the people knew, I mean, the consciousness about, about money and talking about currency was what people talked about really? <laughs> in the 
you know, in the late 1800s. And um, they, there was a greater depression in the late 1870s than there was in the 1930s. And so when silver was taken from the people, uh, when it was demonetized, there there was plenty of wealth there was plenty of 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 resources and demand for those resources and there was plenty of um so there's plenty of supply and demand on wealth but all of a sudden the token of exchange silver the coins were gone who who how so, they do how they pull this off what how did they i, I know no. <laughs> how they did it the gold in 1933 right and they did that one how did they get the silver away from people and what did you say 1873 1873 yeah the famous um famous speech from william uh, uh gosh you know uh, brian Jen right. i think it's jennings brian william jennings brian yeah, yeah 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 i think he was the congressman from nebraska right. and um what a powerful guy and he even later on in the you know was respond actually got the signed off on the federal reserve legislation and he felt like he was tricked later on but you know he gave the famous speech you will not crucify me on the cross of gold right. because they knew that if you had gold as the only form of money there weren't enough coins circulating this is what the founding fathers knew this is why they came here you know they were all in debt in england and um, mm. so they came here and they created colonial script, but they did it properly. Did they? And, you know, again, this sort of, yeah, this has been wiped out of history too, saying, oh no, you know, the colonial script paper money was just inflationary. It created all the problems. Ba Franklin in particular issued script off of land banks. So the amount of script that was circulating was only representing the real productive value of the land. And they knew that the amount of currency in circulation had to be equal, like the equal sign, three plus four equals seven. And that if there was more productive value in the colony, they had to issue more script. Yeah. If there was too much script versus the productive value, they would issue a short-term tax just to soak it up. Wow. You know, because they knew that taxes were not about producing revenue for the government. That was a misnomer right that taxes were just supposed to be used to keep the delicate balance of the uh, currency circulating equal to the productive product production of the people like the banker in monopoly not a great example but reasonable would make sure there was two hundred dollars every time we pass go <laughs> so, so money is just supposed to be a neutral technology like the um like the phone assists us it, as a technology in exchanging our wealth of conversation you know the computer assists us in in doing connecting with one another it's merely a neutral technology that's what it's meant to be money is meant to be a neutral technology in assisting us at our service of exchanging our wealth with one another our wealth that actually cannot be separated from our being or did we did we go down a black hole with that long ago right the whole true man and and the the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913, I guess that was the real kind of mother load of the banks taking control, right? Hey, yeah, it's it's um you know it's it's really and I would even say that you know a slow steady process you know maybe um it was just really formally instituted. You think about it um, with the Revolutionary War, which I really do believe was created when the colonial script was taken was outlawed. 
right. you know, it's it's you find some of it in the record where they talk about that it was really the the reason for the Revolutionary War, that it wasn't religious freedom. You begin with monetary freedom. When you have monetary freedom, then you can have all other freedom. But without monetary freedom, you can't have any other kind of freedom mm. because it represents the power that we contribute to one another, all the divine you know, passions and imaginations on this plentiful planet. And you can make things scarce. You can create the illusion of scarcity when you when you grab hold and you distort and you control the monetary unit. So they knew this. And it was enough to go to war over. And so hmm. um, so did the, you know the powers that be in France and England weren't so stupid. So they brought over the tall ships, they parked them on the eastern seaboard, but they brought them with printing presses. And day and night they printed colonial script. And they, they would did. sell them for they did. Yeah, pennies on the dollar, right? So even it became, you know, capital punishment if you were caught using these counterfeited dollars because it was the entire undermining of the country. So if 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 the uh, Europeans were able to placate to the to the misnomer and the greed of the people who took them, they actually were engaging in highly treasonous and against themselves without even knowing it, destructive behavior. So they were. And it's almost like they do now with bringing in drugs to destroy the culture. They were doing the same thing with money. I don't think the story has ever ended. You know, the story <laughs> maybe began 5,000 years ago. Right, right, right. And there have been beautiful periods where humanity has had the foresight and the simple enlightenment <clears throat> and the simple tools. And, and really, during these empowered, enlightened periods, the money was designed correctly. Even during the Roman Empire, during the boom time, money was not a scarce token. It was a token that was kept in check, representing the productive amount of the people. And um, in, in England, for 600 years, they used sticks of hazelwood, tally sticks, and they had the enlightened period that brought the Magna Carta about, wow. you know, the power With moving to the people. Because they stick. Right. And you could break the stick in half so it couldn't be counterfeited. Uh -huh. So they could control the amount of money and make sure that it was equal to the productive of the people. Not too much, not too little. It's, it's like as if we were given a test and of a hundred equations and the, and the, the, the core of the test was solve as many equations that match. But we wouldn't have to go out and get equal signs first. We wouldn't have to say, dang it, 70 equal, 70 of these equations solve, but I only have 52 equal signs. No. If they solve, we draw the equal sign. And this was supposed to be the whole purpose of money. If you have a buyer and a seller who are ready to exchange, there's supposed to be that amount of money circulating where the productive economy really exists. Oh. And our ancestors knew this. You really understand this stuff, girl. Shoo, man. I'm really, it's an honor to talk to you. It's just like, and I, I understand this stuff, but you understand it like I'm just in grade school and you're in PhD level. Uh, Kristen Ragason is with us. If you care to join us, question or a comment, email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. We're running a little slow today on active listeners because our internet was having a bad hair day all all morning, so I think we lost a lot of people, but the video will be on BitChute and the, the audio is running fine. Can you hold on a second and we'll just uh, do a few things and we'll be right back with you. 
So that's pretty cool stuff. Oh man, I can't wait to read this book. Yeah, I, I haven't even dug into it. And it's called The End of Scarcity. And I'll see, is it, uh, you can just shake your head. Is it an ebook? I mean, Kindle too? You got a Kindle too? All right, I'll do that. Um, pretty cool, man. As you know, well, I've told the story. Uh, I was in, uh, in New York City um, in 93. I had a food company. Uh, it was my part-time job because I kept getting fired from radio stations. I thought I'd better find something else to do. And so, um, <laughs> and I was, uh, I always remember the moment I was shaving, getting ready to go to the Jacob Javits Center for the Fancy Food Show. It's an international food show. We had a, we had a um, um, spaghetti sauce and my mom's sauce. So I was shaving and I'm listening. I had NPR at the time. You know, yeah, I was a little woke then, so excuse me, I was just a little crazy lefty. And uh, so I was listening to NPR on TV and I'm hearing this fellow on, on a commercial and he's talking about money and how the Federal Reserve wasn't pub, wasn't federal and they create the money and what? So I go back and sit on the bed and I hear there was Andrew Goss being interviewed by this fellow on, on national public television explaining what, not, not as eloquently, but explaining what, what Kristen is saying. This was 93. Well, the fellow who did the show got fired, you think? And I called Andrew Goss the next, when I got back home, and we got to become good friends because I knew that he was on to something, but I, this is like crazy. So um, we start doing radio shows, and there it goes. We have 15, well, 12 years of shows with Andrew Goss on one radio network, and he was my mentor in all this. So um, he then began a company years ago with uh, Fred Dashevsky, Andrew did, about 30 years ago, and buying gold and silver coins because they, they understood this. They understood that there was no money. They understood it. They said, well, let's just, let's just buy and sell gold and silver. That'd be a good, a good, a good business. And they, go, they went in the business 30 years ago, and it was called SDL. But Andrew was a real purist, and he only deals, and, and Fred now, because Andrew's gone, is real American money at the Mint. These are you know certified in the plastic cases. He doesn't do gold bricks and bars and stuff like that. They just deal in real American money, numismatic coins. So if, you, if, you, if, they, if any of this is making sense to you, which it probably should, you might want to hedge your bet and take some of those Federal Reserve notes and buy some gold and silver. Put them in your underwear drawer and you're probably going to be happy five years from now. We don't know what the price of gold is going to be or silver, but at least you're not losing money through inflation, right, by having your money in the bank. And it's kind of fun not to have a third-party thing. And we'll talk to Kristen, but if I had a bunch of money, it wouldn't be in the bank. I don't know. what I think it would, I would rather have $100 bills under my mattress than my money in the bank at this point. But don't go by me because I don't know what I'm doing. Anyway, Fred is a, a cool guy. He has a nice little company. They're not going to try to sell you gold and silver that you don't need. You know, don't go on late-night TV and have too many glasses of wine and buy some gold from these people. You have no idea what they're doing or how much they're going to sell it to you for. You have no idea. But this is real American money. Most of them are, are all graded uh, third party by NGC. Uh, they also have pre-64 quarters, dimes, and halves that you can purchase. That's real money, real silver that we used to produce before they changed it 
I think it was 64, 65. But this is the way to go to hedge your inflation. We really believe this uh, to be true. And it's uh, Real American Money with Fred Jaszewski, 800-878-2646. About three years ago, we became introduced to a technology that's really cool, and it's breathing hydrogen gas, yep, and then also making hydrogen water. Uh, you can go to the molecularhydrogeninstitute.com and look at peer-reviewed studies, thousands, and mainly in the East, uh, Japan is one of the leaders in hydrogen technology, and they are so up on it if you have a little heart incident or something and you go into an ambulance in Japan, they put you on hydrogen. Seriously, not oxygen. It's cool, right? Woo. Uh, one of my spiritual teachers uh, in one of the books that he wrote years ago said that hydrogen is the first manifestation of divine spirit in the physical That'll, you know, that'll give you goosebumps. The very first is hydrogen. It's the most abundant molecule ever. It's kind of like God stuff. And you've, you can actually make it in a very cool uh, technology and breathe it. And uh, we don't make any medical claims, but, you know, I gave up aging long ago. And I, you know, the more I breathe it, the more I know that you don't have to if you don't want to. It's up to you. So this is cool stuff. Check it out. Uh, the, uh, a holy hydrogen machine. We think it's one of the best out there. Very low maintenance. You don't have to clean it or anything like that. And it is um, on oneradionetwork.com. Electromagnetic fields are challenges these days because we think that it all's tied in with this, um, what they call central, yeah, I, uh, we'll talk to Kristen about but I think this whole central bank digital currency thing is way bigger than we've ever imagined. And they need it, the 5G, 6G, 12G, and all that, so they can make it all happen. So when you go to try to buy something with your, um, uh, with your digital currency, they're going to know your cholesterol level. And if it's too high, you can't buy the pizza. I think this is where they're going with it. And I think this is part of the 5G. Call me crazy. I know I got a tinfoil hat. But anyway, uh, this, this, uh, these electromagnetic fields are not good. We have a technology that we promote. Uh, it's out of Australia called Blue Shield. We think it's one of the best technologies out there to help your body get stronger. It doesn't block the um, cell phone towers or block the Wi-Fi, but it makes the body stronger to deal with these electromagnetic fields. And we think this is the way to go because uh, there's no evidence that they're going to, you know, stop at 5G and not go 6 or 7. I mean, who's going to stop them until we, you know, just fly them off to some desert island and put them there and let them fight among themselves? So, you know, I don't know what else we're going to do, but we may figure something out. Anyway, Blue Shield Technology, One Radio Network. Use promo code One Radio on OneRadioNetwork.com and, uh, and get one of these. They're a little cube. You put them in your home. They go out to 90 yards and you'll feel better. You'll feel better guaranteed just having them around your house. You will. You will. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. 
We're talking with uh, Kristen Ragason. Her book is called The End of Scarcity. Boy, I can't wait to read this puppy because I'm not the sharpest guy in the world, so I need it made simple. So I think you're going to help me understand more and more how this works. Um, So let's see. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Um, This inflation that we're experiencing today, similar to what was happening in the 70s. Remember when gold went with $35 an ounce over 10 years to, what, 850? Interest rates went from very low to 15% in 1981 when Reagan came in, 15% on a mortgage. How do you think this compares today in 2023 to what happened in the 70s? Well, you know, the the problem that we have today, we have so much more debt. We have so much more indebtedness than what we had in the 70s. So this to me is sort of the tremors of the system. Um, You know, I, I think the central bank digital currencies and all these things are the 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 only plan that the people that sort of organize this world can see as being um, an out you know but and still maintaining control still having a hierarchical pyramidical system and so for the last 20 years when we saw interest rates deflating or we were in deflation that to me was already the beginning of the end because you were running out of the ability to reflate the system crash it reflate the system and so on and now that we're dealing with inflation very easily um you lose control of the fiat currencies um, so let's talk about that a little bit. I'd like to better understand and help our listeners. Uh, let, let's just talk to us like we're a young child and a golden retriever. That's how we do it around here. And uh, so let's talk about how um, when interest rates were declining, right, uh, the Fed was lowering interest rates, making money cheaper for the banks to borrow. Uh, so what was going on and how did they reflate it from there? Explain to us how this happens, how this works. So you lower interest rates to make it easier technically to borrow. But what you're really doing is you're lowering interest rates so it's less burden for you to have to earn on a daily and monthly basis. Less burden to pay it back. Less burden to pay it back, mm -hmm. right? And you have to run less hard, right? Because the the more interest you owe, you have to earn more faster. Mm -hmm. And so when you, you, you basically are turning the temperature down on the stove when you lower interest rates. And um, the problem, I mean, so many problems with this, but the problem with this is that you're stealing from savers. You're stealing from people who have said, listen, I have worked. I'm happy with the contributions. I've enjoyed my life. I've put away money. I now expect that I should be able to invest the capital safely, save it safely, have it earn a reasonable amount of income that beats inflation and be able to draw upon this when I'm no longer actively working. Okay. And so, you know, when you when you turn down interest rates in order to take the pressure off of this hamster wheel cycle of using consumer debt as money, you you destroy that ability for people to truly save peacefully for their retirement. And you destroy in ultimately the integrity of investing, in my personal opinion. Then what do they do? And they 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 what do they do? They did make bad investment decisions because they don't keep their money in the bank, or what happens then? 
Well, no, you still, you know, you would still very traditionally follow good advice. Um, but the problem is the integrity of the system itself has been highly disrupted. Gotcha. We are so dependent on the borrowing repay cycle. 2008 actually was created not by banks making bad loans. That was not the catalyst. Um, where, where the catalyst was that borrowers could no longer borrow. Why? So if we were, why, why? right, because they were, they ran out of the ability to out earn what they owed. What? And how to, so, uh, out earn what they owed. Okay. All so right. it, yeah. you know, their, their monthly debt payment became more than the income that they had coming in. Right. And they weren't able to survive. And that's when it blows up. That's when it implodes. So um, you know, banks, we used to think that banks were constrained on how much they could lend based on how many reserves were created, that fractional reserve lending right. concept, right? And it's just not true. No, they, it um, went banks, away some years ago, didn't it? They just, they have unlimited yeah. now. When was it? Do you know what year they did that? You know, I used to maybe know, I don't even think I specifically have it in the book, um, but you can get, even though it's harder to get, I, I do have it if somebody wants to, you know, can contact me on my website. I have the modern monetary, you know, the money multiplier right. by the Federal Reserve nine that times, used to have yeah, it out on. Yeah, nine times. <laughs> you now, know, and now then it's unlimited, right? Now it's just anything. It's basically unlimited. You know, there might be some where, you know, you have to have a little bit of reserves for the first 10 million in loans, but there's a 30 day lag for these banks to settle their books. I think reserves really have more to do about check cashing. Um, you know, the Bank of England said in 2014 that um, loans create deposits. Deposits do not create loans. loans and then later yeah. on, the bank. You know, so it's the opposite. It's basically saying, listen, loans create our dollars. Dollars do not create our loans. And um, the, the big difference, again, is that the money that the Fed prints is not the dollars that we use. Those uh, go back and are the, are the um, capital. They're the reserves that, that make the banking system strong. We use bank credit, which are Federal Reserve notes that we know, which are simply people's debt. So it's when, simply the, consumer when the Federal Reserve Bank of New York buys mortgage-backed securities from the banks that created this synthetic instrument, which they did, and today yeah. uh, on their balance sheet, they have, I'm looking here, um, mortgage-backed securities, where is it? Um, they still got this stuff on from 2008 on their balance sheet. Here it is, mortgage-backed securities, uh, two trillion six hundred billion dollars worth of mbs's on the fed's balance sheet today so they created something gave it to the banks the same banks that own them and uh, it's like alice in wonderland yeah. You know, I mean, that was even the problem already in 2008. Um, and of course, I, I do think the derivative situation is worse. I none of I, none of the regulation that I'm aware of uh, actually reduced the amount of exposure. I think it I think they've increased their amount of exposure. You know, 2008 started because banks had the ability to take their capital and mark devaluation. And what that means is that they determined what the value was. So it would be like as 
if you and I had our statements and um, we just wrote in our own valuations of our assets. And soon after they were wrought with these derivatives, um, what happened next is those rules changed and they were suddenly dealing with mark to market. And of course, when they went to price their assets against the market, that means the, the market had to determine what the value of their capital was. It was negative. <laughs> so the 2008 crisis started immediately. And um, soon after the bailouts came and some other things, the rules changed back again to marked evaluation. And I sort of knew as an investor that the market was going to go up at that point. I was heartbroken because I had seen too much. Wow. Um, so is it safe to say um, that the whole 2008 thing was an engineered deal? They, 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 this was all worked through to do something? You know, it's it's hard to really know. Um, you know, I think that there is lots of organic behavior. People are just doing business. Most people that work in banks are absolutely believing in what they do, doing the best that they can. And I bet that even goes pretty high up. Uh, you don't have to pull a lot of strings to control the system. You know, you can pull some very few systems and you corral behavior, you shape behavior, and you move events pretty easily. Um, so, you know, it's I, I really do think it's a mix of things. And this world has always had a certain amount of order to it. You know, and on one level, we've benefited from the order. But the, the thing is, we are so far advanced now, and the world is ready for a much flatter version of freedom and beauty. Hmm. And so these old control systems are just not needed the way they were. And the world will not devolve into chaos unless it's pushed into chaos. And even then, we're going to be ready to take that chaos, and this is again one of the main purposes of my work, is to help fuel humanity and to say there's such a simple solution and that when we focus on the joy of this, we can easily take some of this chaos and build a by far better future than ever. Uh, but as you know, the, you know, just to take the, um, you know, challenge it, these guys control everything. The bankers, right? Mm. Wars, as you know, every they just everything. These people are lunatics. So how how do we how do we the people do we you you think we we start just in our own home and and change our whole consciousness about it and let it expand out from there? Yeah, I I think first of all, I think it's I think it's shockingly simple to actually bring back the power. You know, um, mm. the beauty is. I, I really think if I even sometimes can go sympathetically to the powers of be to say everybody is stuck in this system. And, you know, when people start to really find out how many things are not quite as they seem, there can be a lot of, of righteous anger. And um, so, you know, by maintaining a system, one feels safe and having the status quo and the control and the perceived safety they had. You know, on, on these new evolved systems, there's room for everybody. Even banks get to go back and be banks again, like from, you know, the George Bailey wonderful life days. Right. But all that we need to do is I think the first 
thing that we need to do is is actually get the simple monetary history and the very simple construct of what money is and how it, the three things it needs to do to operate. Okay, that's straightforward in the book. Simple, simple, peasy, easy, as you could say it. The second thing that we need to really get is that wealth and money are independent of one another. And so money is dependent on wealth, but wealth is not dependent on money. And what I mean by that is that wealth, we're born with it. It's actually the passion and imagination and all the drive and the gifts. You know, you really could, no one could have stopped me. I've been working on this book since 2007. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it's just been, you know, no matter what, you know, and, and it was just ready to come out last year. Um, and uh, so the passions that we have inside of us, I, I don't think people can, anybody can put them out. But uh, wealth is everything that we buy with our money. It's all the creativity that we have, the imagination. So it's part of the human spirit. And when we start to understand that you know, all the houses and the foods and, and everything that we see around us is wealth. Now, what is money? It's just a mere simple technology that came here to say, how can I help you all live better together? Uh -huh. Now, we get these concepts. We, we've, we learn how to um, design money as a tool to help us. We really anchor in that we are wealthy and that money power is part of our being already that the tables start to shift with this and then the third thing that we do is we really connect in our communities we do our best to take care of one another in the sense of our families or our networks whatever that looks like we start to get to know who our farmers are if we don't our sheriffs we just we, we really anchor that firm solid community that we live in and then we start to um, reinforce those channels of local support to one another. And then we would begin to practice with these alternative currencies, which are private enterprise money, um, or as Jackson knew, script, you know, alternative money that's backed by what we create. And, um, and then pretty soon there's a, uh, an incredible entrepreneur in California that I happen to just learn about who is creating this exact solution. He does cybersecurity and he's actually starting to issue his money worth some amount of services that they provide. And the big thing is that it has to be limited by the amount that one can supply checked by the demand that the market really has for it. Yeah, what's, because the quantity... Uh, wow. What's his name? Yeah, I'd love to talk to him. His name is Robert Grant. Huh. And... You know, I, I, it's it's amazing because I've been talking about this since 2009, I think even before Bitcoin came out, that, and people would say, oh, what do you mean we're going to go back to barter? And I would say, no, no, we're going to issue basically, you know, like a futures contract or a gift certificate or an IOU in a specific amount of product. Now, we really want our farmers to do this. So just like farmers do their CSAs or they, you know, you give them $400 in the winter, you get 10 weeks of food during the summer. Why couldn't that operate as a community currency? And, and something becomes money when people accept it. Yes. But once we start to get this stuff on the blockchain, 
which again, I cannot even begin to tell you how easy this is. It probably could be done in a half an hour in a community with a permission. People give each other permission to join in the circle. Reputation really matters. Then we can see it can't be counterfeited. Hmm. Um, It can operate as a community currency when it's been uh, you know, redeemed for the actual product and service that it was created for, it's it's extinguished. And then the next cycle, it's reissued. So let the powers that be do whatever they want. They're going to do whatever they're, they want, right? They're just going to do it, right? And, you know, I'm really in the camp that we have to bless them. Yeah, you know, they're I, doing the I, best. I know. They're doing it. You know, they just have this really limited, and you know, to some degree, we even could have compassion for them. What, what, what an uninspired life, you know? (laughs) So detached from the miracle and the beauty and the connection, the real connecting from human to human that can fuel us at any moment. And these people are are totally cut off from it, and um, so they're left to believing that they have to control humanity for stability oh how sad so you know listen we'll welcome them back into the fold after a little bit but in the meanwhile we can just say oh how cute sort of like the phone booth that used to be there we didn't have to attack the phone booth in order to allow the cell phone to come when these other systems come if they do in fact come we can say oh fascinating thank you how interesting and even if taxes are required with them or some type of enforcement as long as there are tributaries alternative tributaries the power balance comes very quickly and then you really get down to the bottom line which is the humans the creative beautiful god-given love altruistic humans which is our nature um by far outweigh the other beings on the planet that are confused that's beautiful good job kristen uh is with us and her book is called the end of scarcity i think you want to you want to get this one So, spiritually, I just know that something is up today. Yeah. I mean, something's up. I mean, come on. It's just, the whole thing is so ridiculous on one end, right? With this, I, I won't say it so I can go on YouTube, with this V word, which, in my opinion, and all the evidence shows it never did ever exist. It's just made up. And this whole thing, is, and then the medical model that we talk so much about, that people are... They're finally having to figure out that they've got to figure out what foods to eat. They're the only ones that can figure out and how to take care of themselves because you can't go, you know, it's tough. Um, That um, it's almost like everything is coming to the surface at this time when people are just waking up to these kinds of ideas. It's pretty, pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, something big's going on. I don't know what it is. It's so true. You know, I um, I sort of, uh, you know, I learned so much on this journey of monetary, <laughs> you know, research. Um, you know, I started, well, I started researching even beyond to, you know, really already 2007. Um, but in 2012, I sort of saw the potential of some of these big events coming to reorder the world. And I thought optimistically, oh, no, you know, that won't happen. Um, and even when 2020 was coming, uh, and we sort of saw all of these shutdowns and how the entire planet was shut down within two weeks, 
you know, to me, this was clearly about reordering our systems. And at that point, I cried at my desk for about three days, five days. I really, really thought I was too late, you know, and I was, again, heartbroken thinking I've had all of this passion and and dedication, you know, so so happy to stay up in the middle of the night and work and get up and go to work, no problem. Um, and I, I was distraught for a big part of 2020 thinking, I can't believe it, we're too late. And when I got out the other side of that tunnel, I became grateful for it because I realized, wow, it is actually creating the readiness. It's it's creating the, you know, we can see the will to live. Uh, we can see the strength of humanity being willing willing to can to really question narratives or even uh things that are dear to our identity. Mm-hmm. So I have probably more hope and more of a coherent strength um than perhaps I had before. Yeah. I'm the same way, and I don't know why. I just know I'm crazy, so I'm I'm good, and you know it's going to be fine. Whatever it is, you know, it's just going to be better than it is yesterday. Whatever, you know, it's just I don't know how you know that, but you know you just do. <laughs> um, so just some meat and potatoes things before we go here. Um, so we kind of think that this whole central bank digital currency thing is their next move. Right, and and you think that they believe that this is going to be a way how to retain control without really um, coming clean of what's been going on? Yeah, I mean, the, it, I think it's um, you know it's it's amazing how much the CBDC or the central bank digital currency has been in the news in different ways, and yet no one talks about it. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, White House put out a paper September 29th on why it's we absolutely need digital currency. I mean, don't, isn't our currency digital today? Cash is three percent of our money supply. If that much, yeah. Uh, if that much, yeah. Maybe less today, right? Especially um, as there's been all these cash shortages. The, the New York State is doing a pilot program with the central bank digital currencies and the biggest banking institutions, and I think they're up to 1.7 million transactions per second. Um, all these kinds of things. And, you know, we could even talk about that MasterCard is working to create a uh, uh, carbon-related credit card that will turn off our ability to access our credit. Right, right. um, Depending on our carbon footprint stuff. Yeah. And and I think there's a card that Sweden put out called do do economy or something, which, again, already turns turns your access to your own capital off. Um, Oh, good. You know, the... (laughs) <laughs> and you know you could we could go down the little scary bunny trail a little bit more in saying that Dodd Frank, you know, legislated in bail ins uh, if the if we were to have a financial crisis again, and that the you know the FDIC insurance is only funded even if I said five percent. I think when I was writing the book, it was five percent, and maybe even less than one percent a day. So wow. we could make the boogeyman really big, right? Yeah, because yeah, it's easy because um, they're pretty boogie. You know, yeah. <laughs> Because they're pretty buggy, and uh, you know, but again, it's it it really comes down to the consciousness that you know, society decides what we all have. You know, even um, it, it, with a mob rule, someone could go and attack someone's house and take from someone else. So we're still dealing with this really kind of spiritual. Um, 
you know, worthiness of, 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 of character that society still on some point decides, yes, okay, that's, that's a fair deal. You get to have this. And, and the more that we take these systems back, we will go to really ethical behavior that is our natural empowerment. Um, so I, I think the more this stuff starts to, sh- to rear its head, um, more people are going to wake up and say, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. And I think it will be difficult. I mean, of course, we heard from the World Economic Forum last week that we have to be worried about a power grid. Right. We've seen the, you know, FFA. I think I think even the New York Stock Exchange went down briefly today. Oh, did it? Oh, good. You know, we just need to really, I think, stay in joy also. This is what's so hopeful about the book is, is people will not be confused. They're going to feel empowered about the core information that we should have gotten in kindergarten. Yeah, you know, and um, and then we're going to be able to stick together and say thank you very much. I appreciate it. Fun. I don't I, know. I don't know what we're going to do. Different- yeah, you know, it's the whole. That's the energy we have with these injection things that we've talked about for years. Is um, I don't I don't like the idea of demonizing them. They're terrible. They're killing people. We don't interview those kinds of people because I don't think it gets us anywhere. Uh, I feel like it's just the idea of no, thanks. I'm good. No, I, I'm good. You know, I don't want one of those. You know, that that energy is much more and productive, we, productive, right? Really, do need a solution. You know, um, what I I really map out the blueprint for the solution, um, and that alone it, it becomes a basis. And you know, people may start to even come up with better solutions from this. And so, when we get to the idea of saying, "Wow, here's a tangible blueprint," it gives us sort of a way to root ourselves you know, ground ourselves and picture this optimistic future that's really, truly waiting for us. And it's 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 a future where we we start to take self-responsibility, um, which is is what our ancestors always wanted, but in a very empowered way. Um, so it's amazing that it's possible. I mean, sometimes I tickle myself because I have to read the news all the time. And then I go back and I read my book again and I go, that's it. I forgot. <laughs> Yeah, I, I forgot that one. Uh, um, so, so what do you, you think know, about would... this idea? Uh, and our guest is going to talk about it tomorrow. He's really into public citizen banks, where each state would start their own public citizen bank, separate from the Federal Reserve Bank, and they would, um, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but they, they would essentially just be your own Bank of Texas, um, and they would monetize debt in relation to how much, to, you know, they'd keep it in balance and they would make a lot of money because they're monetizing debt and they could get rid of state taxes and property taxes and you could do the whole thing. Do you think, big picture, I know you don't understand what he's talking about. And wh- Is that what you write about in your book, similar? Yeah, it's definitely in the book also. Oh, is it? Um, yeah, I've had a lot of experience with public banking. Really? Um, really? You know, yeah, I think I, I may even cover it in two chapters on the book. So oh. um, public, public banking in theory um, can be an excellent tool, but it is totally dependent on the people having control of the legislature in their states. Yes, because it has so, to be approved, you right? Know, you you got you to gotta do that, right? Well, you got yeah, and even then, once you give the power to the state, if the people do not have control in their states, public banking will work 
for disaster rather than for the positivity. So it's sort of, um, huh. I, I support it at its root, but I support it once we have control of creating the currency. Then it will, because when, when we have control of the quantity of the currency and what backs the currency, then we have control over everything. Um, so today we do have one public bank in the country. We have the state of North Dakota. But it's still tied with right? the so Fed, the isn't it? Though, isn't it not? It's not. No, no, it really largely isn't. Huh. Um, you know, they um, they the, because in essence, um, when when a bank is under the Federal Reserve System, it has to follow it has to follow the Bank of International Settlements rules for their capital. So Basel, Switzerland, actually controls all of the banks around the world by setting their that how much capital to assets, how much capital they have for how many loans they can write. Now, the state of North Dakota uses its all the state that the that all the property that the state owns as its capital assets. So it could never really go bankrupt ever. Mm. It could never be insolvent. So during the 2008 crisis, the the Bank of North Dakota was not. So it was totally solvent. And so state banking just was gleaming on the hill. And they were able to lower taxes. They were able to keep creating credit for businesses. And they may, they use the state bank to be a mini Fed for the commercial banks in the state of North Dakota. But, you know, the Fed really becomes irrelevant. It becomes cute again. It becomes like that old phone booth in the state of North Dakota. Now, if this was done in California, you would have to say, well... What would happen? How, now the legislature could create an unlimited amount of money. Would that get used for 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 investing in small business? Would it be used for all people? Would it be used only for some people? So, for an example, um, we have two universal basic incomes up and running in uh, the state of California. You have San Francisco, you have Palm Springs, but there are, and it may not be San Francisco, it might be the city of Oakland, but they're only being used for, for certain groups of the population. And so you give the power to whatever political ideology is in charge. They would be in full command to create whatever they want. So they might open the border completely and um, create tremendous wealth for people coming in the border. They might close the border and give the money only to people who have been born in the state. I mean, you could go to any spectrum of the political dialogue. And if you didn't have control over your legislature and and um, even protection for the Constitution, you could destroy the Constitution even faster with public banking. Wow. So oh. my... My concern is that we would see the universal basic income coming in very quickly. Um, and at that point, you could absolutely tie it to like a a, a vaccine passport mm. or like a, a carbon passport. And you get rid of industry. Um, you say all these businesses have to shut down because we don't have um, energy. We certainly have run out of capital. Um, now people have to bank with the Fed. Here is your universal basic income, but in order to get your income, you have to wear a purple and red striped sweater and stand on your head for five minutes right. in order to have That's it. That's the goal. This is where they're going with that. And this is the risk with public banking. So for as much as I do, I, I lay out the positives of it in the book. It's very important to have a holistic conversation about it and say that the risks are tremendous if we do not have the ability to create the token of exchange. And because a universal basic income is a backdoor to tyranny. Let's see. And, uh, let, me, um, let me see if I understand. 
So uh, Texas does a uh, Texas Public Citizen Bank. Are you saying that they they need to create a token of exchange other than the Federal Reserve note or the dollar? Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. And and at the at the state public bank, they would declare that you could save your um, you know Texas Twitter itself whatever dollar right you know or they could be off of they could be off of oil rigs they could be off of ranchers they could be off of tree planters you know you again you go through the whole spectrum you don't you let anybody from any point of view as long as they're not hurting someone else you know create uh, create their own credit backed by you know and this is what wildcat banking was and it strengthened every single money system because you had a biosphere of different dollars and you get you you get you you solve the whole dilemma of people who want socialism because you return to real investment capitalism today of course we don't have capitalism we have corporatism and the reason why we don't don't have capitalism or investment capitalism is because we're using the wrong gas. We're using an incorrect currency in the system, which distorts the system. There's nothing wrong with the car. There's something wrong with the gas. Hmm. And if we use proper form of production back or value backed um, money, capitalism would flourish because those issuers of the currency would be totally transparent and they would be dependent on their customers who would be their creditors to keep their currency having value. So if the United if they printed United States notes out of treasury, it would be tied into GDP. It would be tied to what services the government provides and whether the citizens believe that the services are what valid or not. What, explain what you mean by that. So, promise, so let's say that we went to a real United, United States, States dollar. Note. Okay. Okay. And, and that dollar, the United States could create as many um, as services there were demand for. Services and that so, were demand. Could, but what if they create the United States note to when they go short dollars because of the debt that they have? I mean, they've got to get rid of that. But I don't, sorry to interrupt, but let me, t- let me stay with your thought about the services. I, I'd like to understand that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So um, so for an example, like you, yeah, yes, just as you were saying, you could easily get rid of the debt, whether it's through minting a coin or no, right, depending on the Constitution. Okay, so let's say that the, the, the United States debt is gone, because really, technically, we own the vast majority of that debt to ourselves. We own the vast minority, and a tiny, tiny percentage of it is owned to China. <laughs> it's another misnomer. Right. There's only about a trillion to China, right? You can go to treasury.gov and see every day how much China owns of it. And it's a vast minority. So we own, the the debt is owed to our pension funds, to ourselves. So we decide, okay, we no longer want to have it. It's becoming a burden. We pay it off. We pay it off in a way that we we don't exacerbate inflation. Um, And and really, you know, okay, so we just, let's say we've taken care of that. Now we want a dollar and we want a dollar and Keynes even originally when he said the government should go into deficit spending, he really meant that it should be done in a way without debt, that the, that the United States Treasury was just supposed to create real dollars right. without debt. Right, right. And this information has been lost. So now the United States comes out and says to its country, we're going to create the dollar. They could pay all the people that work for the government, the federal government in U.S. dollars, mm-hmm. or they could pay 
infrastructure, you know, people that are working on the highways, they could credit social security accounts with United States dollars. Um, now the demand for those dollars, because you can only issue as many dollars as you, as there is real demand for what services you're providing. So there probably could not be unlimited printing for war if people decided that was not a value. There probably couldn't be unlimited creating of the U.S. dollars for other kinds of things that didn't truly have a basis of value. So also now the federal government would be legitimately limited to creating the supply of dollars, which the libertarians want, or people who say, oh, the Fed creates inflation, but really they're creating the loss of purchasing power. That's what they're creating. Yes. Um and so now instead, the United States government could absolutely issue their own proper dollars as our real fundamental currency that we could even save money in or save value store wealth in. It's a better way to put it, but limited only by the real services that are providing value to people. The services so by, by the government? Services by the, the government. government. So doesn't we would provide decide. any services. What do they do? They don't. Well, maybe. Right. Okay, so then maybe they, so that's what we would decide. So now the people would begin to decide this. Okay. You know, what What do we want the government to do? Now Now maybe private enterprise says, well, listen, you know, and the market, because there would be a biosphere of currencies that were legitimate. See, this is the democratization of the creation of legitimate money. So now commercial banks are not only the only issuer. Now, we're not trying to create treason or overthrow the government's money, blah, blah, blah. We're talking about alternative currencies, which is really ultimately what Jackson and all the others were talking about. That there was just a, a real... Um, there was a there was a real competition for it. So we're when you do, when you create producer backed money or what E. C. Regal, who was just a giant in monetary theory, who tried to stop World War II by talking about this stuff, and he called it private enterprise money. So um, when all different businesses or cities um, or regions start issuing their their own alternative currency backed by a promise to deliver of what they create limited by the demand for what they create, we now have competition. And, you know, these issuers, everything is is in their favor to issue it legitimately um, because they don't want to wreck their reputations. And um, so for a, an example, and this is not what I'm recommending, um, you know, because we can take Amazon as an easy example, mm -hmm. and it would be a Trojan horse for good if they did money correctly. But Amazon could start issuing their own money, and they would limit and eliminate the need to raise money in the bond markets or at Wall Street. Um, they would raise capital directly from their customers, and people would pay Amazon credit at a discount. You know, so they would trade in their fiat, they would get Amazon dollars back, they get a discount if they used it at Amazon. And the question is, could I pay someone to mow, mow my lawn? Could I get gas? Would they take Amazon dollars? Um, would I take Amazon dollars in exchange for giving someone one of my books? So the more that it works as a circle, now then... But Amazon could only issue as much as they had real products and services to deliver and that there was real demand for. If they under... Issue, you know, um, issued oh. that there was a. Uh, we, I'm, I'll just start with under, but if so, if we have an illusion of scarcity, there are too few dollars. Those of us who have Amazon's credit, it's going to go up in value, and we have Amazon's product because that what's supposed to be a dollar a dollar starts to be worth more. Now, all Amazon has to do because they want to recognize their profit is spend more. They could buy yachts for themselves. They can give themselves raises. They could go and give their people who work at Amazon a raise. 
Instead, they could plant trees, they could clean the rivers. So they can do whatever they want to do, but we're going to know how they spend their money. And and so now if they over-issue, that means the credit that I bought starts to lose its value. It's an Amazon's interest to buy it back up and make sure that we're at parity. So now CEOs, instead of being completely corrupted for obscene profits that are part of this debt money system... Um, are now being guided by what I call the parity principle, who came from Paul Grignon, who's a grand thinker. And um, it keeps CEOs actually working for the common capitalist good um, to make sure that the flow of money is always traveling where the real people are doing the work. Wow. Wow. I got goosebumps. It's all uh, in the book. Uh, it's all in the book. Uh, Beverly wants to know, I'm really enjoying your guest, but I don't understand help me understand why she would think that the the people that control the dollar would allow all this to go on when they just stop it i don't think they can you know, yeah i mean i really sympathize with that point of view i really do i i think what's i've looked at this so much and i cannot even begin to say how much power we have um communities are doing this already um i started to pilot this in india and i would walk around in villages and people would say oh we have to raise money for them they're so poor and i would say for goodness gracious when you look at them they are not poor in fact they're quite wealthy they have families and intelligence and skills and mm. religion and history they just don't have money so if they were to actually start issuing certificates off of the amount of water they produce from their wells that people buy um, we began that system um, there are schools in costa rica who are beginning this um, islands off of vancouver you know so we're starting to have communities that will do this and you know even like this amazing man in California, um, I, I, I've had to re-edit the book because everything I've said is coming true so quickly. No so what? once we start creating these systems ourselves, you cannot put it back in the box. Just like you can never put the internet back in the box, you can't put blockchain in the box. And I'll tell you, with um, there's an old saying that I really should learn how to say correctly, which is, the medicine is in the poison. Is that what the saying is? Uh, uh, the the the, the, uh, the dose or something was it about the dose in medicine or I don't know. You know, it's you know because know when that, that poison, yeah. Yeah. It, and I think I have it in the book. But when the poison comes inside of it, is the medicine we need? Right, right. We need to wake up to realize that the money power, the power to create money, is only in us because we create the wealth that it represents. And it is the God-given principle that's pulsing through our veins of the the um, endless kaleidoscope of of just curiosity and imagination of what we create next. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful thing, and 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 when you tie in all of the emotions around money that we've kind of been programmed in our whole life, things get a little sticky because then we think there's not enough and we need more, and it gets you know. That's a whole other conversation about the spirituality. Uh, that there's, it's just energy. It doesn't even exist, right? It's just energy. So why would we think there's not enough energy? I mean, that would be like limiting God, right? We say, oh God, well, God only does so much. Really? I don't think so. <laughs>
you look at one oak tree, you want to look at one apple tree. Right. Um, I mean, you know, the sand, the water, we, we really are immersed in abundance. We have just been conditioned and indoctrinated to scarcity. And that's why it really is so easy to end scarcity because it's an illusion. But it's one that's reinforced by our daily activities and our concerns um, and sure. by the tremendous volatility that we're exposed to. Sure. Because you and you understand we have a fellow who's got two kids and a mortgage payment and he's concerned because he doesn't have enough dollars at the end of the month to do what he needs to do. And, and since he doesn't understand the way money works, it's, you know, it's very understandable how people can get all tied up in that. It's very, really. In. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Every single one of us at some point, I mean, we're, it's because it is, it is the bulk of what surrounds us. Um, the difference is that, you know, we, we truly have an unconscious relationship with money, which largely is no fault of ourselves, ourselves. When we're born on this planet, there's the sun, the moon, the rain, gravity and money. Right. So right away, it's in our world and we accept it sort of like a law of nature. We don't think to question it. Question it. Why would we question it? We just know we need to earn it. We figure out how we want to spend it, maybe invest it. But we don't say, hey, wait a minute. Who created money? Does the stork bring it? How does it get into society? Where does it go? We don't really know that it gets extinguished when a borrower repays the debt. We wouldn't think this. And it, without this understanding, we believe that when we're struggling to get enough money, that there's something wrong with us. And then when the rich and famous sort of are glorified through the capitalist system by saying, hey, you too could have this level of social mobility, it's largely not true because when money is created as debt, you know, only the, the wealth goes to only a certain level of strata. You know, there is some opportunity, but really the speculation and all the other stuff is to the very higher parts of society in the financial industry. Mm. Um, they have access to the social mobility. And so we start to get a very self, uh, low self-esteem around it, a self-defeatist understanding when in fact money itself is meant to be as plentiful as is our productivity. And it's supposed to ebb and flow. The quantity is supposed to be less or more and really not a big deal. You know, money's technically not even that important when we start to reorient ourselves. It's the wealth that we are des de desiring to manifest and the contributions, that's what becomes important. Wow. And then we drive the problem. We drive it. Um, so uh, before we go, let's, um, let's start talking about some real basic things our listeners, if they're kind of, you know, getting into what you're saying, uh, we don't know what's going to happen with inflation, interest rates. We can project, you know, we think they're going to keep going up for a bit. Inflation, probably going to keep going up. Central bank digital currencies, uh, the challenges of actually having your money in a bank, which it's, it could be spicy. Just basically, our listeners, if they've got a bunch of cash, 50, 100 grand or something, should they just get out of you think just get out of that put the dollars in a safe or buy gold or and just get out of the banks i mean what are you t what are you telling your your clients now really hard to know you know i can't really give investment advice i mean people have to go I, the best thing is to really work with someone who knows knows their situation and and um can give advice i do think in that world where if we had a clock 
And we are talking about traditional investments. We're really sort of segregated between 11 a.m. and 1 a.m. You know, we're, we're, we're in this sort of, you know, um, abbreviated conversation. And, um, I, I think personally for myself, doing a little bit of everything is a good idea. Um, I'm not leaving the banks. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just, but it's, 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 I'm also not only using banks. I believe in spreading things around everywhere. Mm. And, um, you know, it, people are not going to take it if if all of this money disappeared out of the banks um the robot armies better be pretty big and everywhere yeah, it, it's not going to happen really you know so you would be talking a little bit of everything crypto gold silver dollars uh stocks bonds yeah. treasuries whatever you want to do CDs. No, I mean, I can really only speak for myself. Um, you know, I, that's how I really view my own situation. Um, it's, it's nice to just sort of hedge. I feel comfortable hedging my own bets around the universe, you know, and, um, because you can't be wrong in every area. <laughs> and if we get some really, we can be wrong some of the time, but we can't be wrong everywhere all of the time. And if something really big, tremendous were to occur, um, people are going to be really angry in in droves and i i lim i really don't think the success of that's going to be quite great because they could turn the power system off today and all you know who how many people really have statements you know have they printed their statements out do they have a file of statements or is that sort of you know not a thing that's gone by would you even remember how much money you had where you had it and um, hmm. so I'm not so sure that this could easily be accomplished by flipping a switch um, as is sort of being, you know, for, forewarned but then the you, powers of be. Then you'd be talking about Mad Max and be crazy. Yeah. It'd be crazy, yeah. You know, I, I just, um, that's why I, I'm not a big believer. I think that it can be more thrown out there to scare people, sure. um, sort of into maybe why we would want to go direct with the fed maybe why we would want to accept a central bank digital currency um you know again the more that we build these alternative pathways as long as it's one choice of many who cares yeah yeah well it's really fun stuff i i'm just impressed with your um passion about this christian thanks for coming on the show um such a joy. So much fun talking to you about this. Uh, I really, oh, really. My pleasure, Ragason. And your book, The End of Scarcity. And it's doing well. The book is doing well. It's doing really well. Yeah, it went um, number one on Amazon and money. It sort of bolted out of the gate. Um, and it's starting to really take a life of its own. Um, it's written like an adventure story, just so people know. Um, it's it's almost like the Da Vinci Code. It has a big reveal every chapter. Mm. Uh, it's narrative nonfiction. So it's the story I write of my personal heartbreak sort of, of of learning this. And then the demoralization where then I was absolutely convicted that I would find a solution if this in fact was how it was. So it's from heartbreak to tremendous opposite Op opera oh gosh optimism and even the opportunity of what this is creating for us that we're going to be grateful that we're in this situation have you uh received invites from legacy media on your book or just more alternative or like yeah. this one or have you well, you know, um, a little both. Uh, you know, of course, alternative is is much more open, sure. feels much more comfortable 
questioning these ideas. Um, but I'm going to do a book tour uh, this spring. And um, some traditional financial media may be doing a book review. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And I really, I would be so happy to talk about it wherever we can, because the whole goal is to shift the consciousness. And the more quickly we shift it, the more easy, soft transition we make. Yeah. Also, um, the book too, you're going to literally is, take your body, travel around the country and do, do shows? Yeah, so yeah. Hopefully, I, th I think it begins in March. I may very well be in Austin. Um, oh, come, so come visit. I'll, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll hook up. I, I will, yeah. And I'll, that's yeah. If I'll have a, you know, put it all out as soon as I know. So yeah. it's um, it's been tremendous. I, I, um, I've been working around the clock, and I'm so grateful for all the demand um, because I think the time has come where people are really ready to say, wow, um, what is this? And my goodness, we could do it. Yeah, we could do it. Could you hang on one second after we end the show? I just wanted to ch uh, connect with you. Thanks for everything. Uh, tell folks uh, on your website, what are they going to find there when they go? Yeah, the best place really is to go to the website, which is theendofscarcity.com. That, that's, that's not your name. Sorry. I, I, that's okay. <clears throat> And um, the the other one would be my name, which is Kristen Ragison, which is K-R-I-S-T-E-N. And Ragison is R-A-G-U-S-I-N.com. They'll both take you to the same place. Um, you can buy the book there. You can get the book everywhere. It's, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple, and so on. Digital, paperback, hard copy. Um, so it's, and much more is coming. The audiobook I will come, maybe even a course, a short course for people to learn if they want to go more in depth, um, and a community for community uh, communities to start to uh, bond with one another to put this solution into action. And then there'll be an events page and also a resources page coming uh, with with a lot of learning and new, you know, and, and to keep up with current events so mm -hmm. that um, people remain empowered and not scared uh, yeah. is really the whole goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, you're doing great. Uh, really, congratulations for your work. Good stuff. And uh, thank you very much. So it is uh, ChristianRagason.com. That's the place to go sorry i didn't have your name up there i couldn't i can't believe i did that the whole show and we just oh, that's okay. we, we just got started you know a little caddy wampus getting started and and i just spaced that part all right sweetie thanks a lot take care of yourself uh, joy yeah thank you so okay. much a really pleasure okay okay bye-bye may, may the blessings be christian ragason wow she's cool huh man good stuff it's much more than i bargained for i tell you i had no idea she was that cool that's sharp. Um, uh, check it out. I'm going to get the book. You should do The End of Scarcity. She said it's on an e-book thing, so you can put it on your little tablet. I'm lucky I can even do that without hurting myself, you know, this tablet thing. It's just, uh, I'm just such not a geek. So I will see you tomorrow. We're going to do Adam Bergstrom, and we're going to talk more about money with Richard Proctor and his whole thing on banking. And um, I'm going to send him this video as well before uh, we do the show, and he might enjoy hearing what Kristen has to say about the banking thing. I'm sure he will. So I'll see if I can get this up on BitChute and send it to him. But we'll see you tomorrow at uh, um, 10 o'clock with Adam Bergstrom. I love you all very much. Thank you. Doing great. No matter what other people tell you, you're not stupid. You're not terrible. You're, you're not sinning. You're just fine. Thank you very much. You're just fine.
fine. You're doing the best you can, so just don't listen to them. Uh, that's my message to you this morning. Uh, and I will see you in the morning. Thanks. Uh, may the blessings be. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. <laughs>